Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing why traditional leadership styles just aren't working anymore and explore what the alternatives are. See, our guest today is highly respected business leader and author, Bill George. See, Bill is a former chairman and CEO of Medtronic and has also served on the boards of Goldman Sachs, ExxonMobil, Novartis, and Target. In his latest book, True North Emerging Leaders, Leading Authentically in Today's Workplace, Bill provides readers with invaluable insights and advice on how to lead authentically in today's evolving workplace. Now, in this podcast interview, Bill discusses the key points from his new book and offers compelling advice for emerging leaders on how to develop their own authentic leadership style. Now, before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. In today's rapidly changing world, it's more difficult than ever for organizations to keep up. That's why I'm excited to invite you to the Navigating Uncertainty Summit on October 14th at Clemson University. You'll learn from the most innovative thinkers in a day of inspiration and make cross-industry connections that will help you adapt to the modern world. Register now at 2022summit.ageofpersonalization.com. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Bill, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Glenn. I'm thrilled to be here and be a part of your show, because I think we share a lot in common. So thank you. Well, we certainly do. And uh, and there's one thing that is, an, is the most obvious thing that we share in common, that it's no longer about the business defining the individual. It's about the individual defining the process towards a shared mission. Bill, at a time where we're going through so much transformation, so much uncertainty and volatility, there's got to be a better way to work. And it seems to me that emerging leaders are awakening us to this new way. Tell us what's changed now for young leaders in our current environment. Glenn, we need a new generation. We need the emerging leaders in Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z to step up and lead now. Because the baby boomers, the last 30 years, have had their day. Uh, there are some great baby boomer leaders out there. But overall, we're having one crisis after the next, and we need new leadership that knows how to lead people. Why do we have the great resignation? Because people are not bringing, leaders are not bringing out 
the passion that people have and not helping them reach their full potential, allowing them to be themselves. They want them to fall into a nice little square box and uh, fit right into a corporate mold. Leaders today don't want to do that. They want to be who they are. They want to have a chance to show what they can do. They don't want to stand in line for 10 years to get to be a manager. They want to have a chance to really make a difference in the world. And they don't want to work for a company. You mentioned mission. They want to work for a company that has a very clear mission that they can identify with. They can't identify with it. They don't want to work there. You know, Bill, this reminds me of one of the five shifts of leadership in the age of personalization. And it's the one from mission to contribution. I mean, Bill, everybody thinks that they buy in to their organizational mission. And that's just not true. I mean, some people just want a job. In other words, the mission can't be stronger than one's contribution to it. How should leaders be thinking about how emerging leaders just don't want to abide by those old, outdated standards anymore? How can they create inclusive cultures if they're not even measuring inclusion, and yet it's the emerging leaders are looking for those organizations that are inclusive? I mean, are we in our, in our, <laughs> in our process of trying to be more inclusive? I often wonder, Bill, are we bringing people together or bringing you know, people further apart? Uh, what's the challenge for traditional leaders these days? Well, traditional leaders try to force everyone to the, the if you will, the Caucasian white America, American male role and uh, you know, money, fame, power, and it doesn't work. And I can tell you, you mentioned inclusion. Everyone wants to feel included. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or what your race is, your religion, Oh, your ethnic background, your national origin, your sexual identity, everyone wants to feel fully included. It's not about diversity statistics. It's about creating an organization where people feel included. People want to know that my purpose is aligned with the corporate purpose. If not, I don't want to work here. If this corporation has no reason for being, no raison d'etre, I have one. I want to know that I can contribute to that and I feel a part of it. If I don't feel a part of it, I'm going to leave. And you have to create that sense of belonging. It's not about reporting diversity statistics. It's that's that's kind of a staff role. It's no, it's leaders who create that sense of bringing people together around a common purpose and mission that people really buy into. So, Bill, let's let's step back a moment. You have held prominent C-suite roles, C CEO roles, and have served on several prominent boards. What are the boards saying about these types of issues? Because, I mean, if we step back, standardization, uh, they did a really good job of putting people in boxes and siloing the organizations. If you win, someone has to lose. This is a bit concerning now because during these times of change, we're still defaulting back to those old ways of leading. What are the boards thinking about? And um, how can we begin to open their eyes that the topics that you and I are talking about are very serious? The boards are made up of baby boomers. In a lot of cases, they don't get it. They say, oh, these millennials, they want to change jobs all the time. And I said, you know why they want to change jobs? Because you haven't given them an opportunity to show what they can do. You haven't given them an opportunity to have to use their passion to make this company better, to make a difference. And unless you do that, they're going to keep losing people. So I think a lot of boards don't get it. A good example, the Boeing board. Uh, 
distinguished CEOs. I mean, really terrific people. But how could they take two planes down, kill 346 people, and not realize we got to apologize? This is horrible. And we didn't even tell people the pilots who need to train the pilots. We have to admit we're culpable. Oh, no, we're going to hide behind our lawyers. No, no. You got to be out there with the people. And that's just one example. General Electric Board sat there as what was once the world's most valuable company is gone now. It's three divisions are being broken up, uh, destroyed. You know, when I was a kid growing up, my father said, look at GE, it's the world's greatest company. Not anymore, because they, the board just sat there past it. Wells Fargo board. Can you imagine a, an organization has 3.3 million audited both fictitious accounts that people come, and then they blame it on the first line people. They don't, first line people don't want to cheat. They're doing it because of the pressure from the management and the board didn't get it. And I think this, the boards have a long way to go. They're too buddy-buddy, too much of a, a club, if you will. Bill, this is just not sustainable. I mean, we're talking about taking reputation management issues when our people are telling us loud and clear, we don't, we're not buying what you're selling. So <laughs> what if, what if your experiences as a CEO taught you about leadership? And how did you learn how to lead? Because it seems to me that if we keep using these escapism tactics, we're never going to learn how to lead. No, I struggled to learn how to lead. I wanted to be a leader before I was, and I had to take it to some bitter pills, like losing seven elections in a row in high school and college and being told that no one's going to want to work with me, much less be led by me because I'm focusing on myself. And uh, yeah, I, took, I got hit, hit right between the eyes, but that was a good thing. That was one of the best things that happened to me. And but I got tried to force in that mold too, and I had to break out of it. And I had this idea I wanted to work for a really large company. Why? I don't know. I was on route to running Honeywell, which is a huge company, a great company. But uh, I realized one day that I was miserable. On the outside, I, on the surface, I had everything going for me. On the inside, I'm miserable because I feel no sense of passion for the business. I don't really care about it. And it's just laying off people and making the numbers and chasing numbers. And I went to Medtronic company was, uh, you know, just a fraction of the size of Honeywell. At that time, it's grown up to be a big company. Boy, there was tremendous passion for the mission, for the values of the company. And everyone cared about everyone else. We talked about this in meetings all the time. Are we really helping patients? What are we doing? You go down the production line, you talk to people. Look, you can't go to a company like Medtronic. You can't go down and say, look, Glenn, what are you doing to help us make 391 a share this year? They'll look at you like, that's not my job. My job is to ensure that every heart valve I make is perfect or else someone's going to die. We can't have, nine, Mr. George, we can't have 99.9% .9 quality or someone will die. It's got to be perfect every time. That's the kind of passion. You go to the engineers, they're in the labs and they're, oh, I got this great idea for diabetes. And we could take some of these ideas and, and really help people. And to me, I spend my time out with the people. I spend a third of my time with customers, a third of my time with employees, and a third of my time doing anything else. But we're, we've done studies at Harvard Business School that where CEOs are spending just a small fraction, they spend more time with consultants than they do with customers. And they're in business meetings all the time. And why? And the average meeting lasts 90 minutes. Look, I learn more in the hall by going out and talking to people and finding out what's going on and say, hey, walking in a lab, what are you working on? Oh my gosh, let me show you my, this new idea. I have this fantastic idea. Great. You know? And uh, so that's, that's where business ought to be. If you're, say you're in the retail business, you are now walking the stores every day, talking to your people, 
talking to customers, seeing what they like, what they don't like. You're sitting there looking at statistics. Well, yeah, they may look interesting. You don't know what's going on. You know, Bill, you remind me of some wisdom that was shared with me by one of my first mentors. And I'll make sure that he hears this. His name is Steve Howell. And Steve told me this as I started going up the ladder. He said, Glenn, don't ever stop touching the business. You must touch the business just as much as you lead it. And that's exactly the message that you delivered. That if you're in retail, go reset shelves. Know what brand dynamics are in the stores. Talk to the store managers. Touch and talk to the people that touch the business. They're the ones that know it. It's all about people. But yet, like you said, we continue to confine them inside the box they're given. So what do you say to an associate, a frontline employee in one of those retail stores, Bill, on how can you be more authentic? What would you tell them? I thank them for what they're doing. They're the ones that are authentic. And don't fall into the trap of just falling into the, the rigidity that you're being placed into. Treat every customer personally. Uh, be really right out there for them. So let me give you an example from my Medtronic experience, Glenn. Uh, when I, I knew a lot about high tech I, before I went to Medtronic. I had 25 years, but I knew nothing about medicine. So here's what I did. I went out and gowned up and uh, you know put on the greens work with doctors, I saw between 700 and 1,000 procedures in the 12 years I was there. Wow. And meet a doctor at 6.30 or 7 and watch him do surgery. I wasn't selling anyone anything, but boy, I learned the business. I learned about life and death. I learned about how our products maybe were difficult to use because the catheter couldn't go in the artery, uh, in the veins. And that's where you learn the business. And they'll tell you, I'll tell you, they'll tell you what they don't like. In fact, one time we were trying to start up a new business in the uh, cardiovascular business and the doctor had a problem with our product and it fell apart in his hands he took it and he threw it at me blood and all across the table now i learned we had to get the quality right but you know a lot of people don't want to be out there they say oh it takes a lot of time yeah it takes a lot of time but uh you know it's time well spent because that's where you learn and you learn what's wrong and so any business i would say if you're not on the firing line you know, you, you're never going to understand what's going on. You need to be, again, that gets back, if, if it's just a numbers game, you're not out there. You know, I would talk this, and by the way, take financial business. You know, Richard Davis, we talked about, ran U.S. Bank, the, the one most successful uh, regional bank in the country. Why? He was out there with the tellers. He said, I don't go talk to the branch manager. I go talk to the tellers. Hey, tell me what's going on. What's happening with our customers? They're concerned. Oh, mortgage rates are rising. Can we help them refinance? What's going on? You know. That's what he, and so I think any good leader does that. Well, and I think what you've just described is what emerging leaders expect from their leaders, and they're not seeing enough of it. So what are the big distinguishing differences between, let's call them the traditional leader and the emerging leader? Traditional leaders were raised in a stable time. They want to have a five to 10 year plan. They want to just delegate the work. They want to sit in their office and then use statistics to measure how they're doing. The emerging leaders lead with their heart, not just their heads. You've got to be smart. But I can tell you, I've studied well over 100 leaders who have failed. Now, one has failed because they weren't smart enough. They failed because they didn't, they didn't have a heart for the business. They didn't have self-awareness. They didn't have passion for it. They didn't have compassion for the customers they serve. Do I have compassion in Medtronic? If we had a product problem or causing, of course, 
we have to fix it and put it right. We'll spend any amount of money to get that product right for that patient. And you also have to have courage to make the bold move. And by the way, it may not go well, and you may have to pick up, you know, pick up the pieces and put it back together again. But that's what great leaders do. And I know a lot of people with big titles, CEO titles that don't have any courage at all. They just want everything to stay right in a little box and to do their security analyst meeting. They aren't really out there with their people. And, uh, and emerging leaders don't accept that today. They'll quit. They'll go somewhere else and work with someone that they can feel fully alive and fully human and, and feel like they're really reaching their full potential. And they can do that because they have more options. Yeah. <laughs> they have more options than you and I did. And, right. and yet, the traditional leader is still so out of touch with that reality. They keep forcing them out unknowingly uh, yeah. because of this inability to have the self-awareness to treat them like humans. So, Bill, let's shift gears here. What can the new generation of leaders learn from the last? Because look, yes, traditional leaders, it worked back then. But what are some things that the new gener generation of leaders can actually take away from them? <laughs> they can learn a lot of what not to do. A lot of the things we've been talking about. Uh, but I think, you know, I feature in my new book, uh, in, in the Emerging Leader Edition, a number of baby boomers who did it right. You know, Mary Barra, who started in the production line at 18. She's now been at General Motors 40 years. She knows how to change that culture. She knows what's wrong with it. So I'm not right wiping out all the baby boomer leaders. Paul Pullman at Unilever, who was the, you know, godfather of sustainability. Everything was about, and he made it a business, gave, yeah, you don't leave her a competitive advantage over its competitors. And Hubert Jolie, who said, you know, business is all about the heart. And he goes to Best Buy when they're really in deep, deep trouble and becomes CEO. Where does he go his first week? Does he go to the headquarters and go over the financials of trouble? 99% of the leaders would no. He goes to St. Cloud, Minnesota, goes to six stores, has dinner with us the people at night and talks to the customer. He said, I learned everything in that week I needed to know what all the problems were and what we had changed in one week, his first week on the job. Then he can look at the numbers and see what he's going to do. But he learned what the, so any leader, I'll tell you, I tell leaders, if you're not passionate about your business, you're in the wrong business, go work somewhere else. So how should leaders know when to take a stand on social issues? I mean, this is a big uh, issue, right? Uh, social yeah. issues are indelibly interconnected with business. They always have, but what can they, how, what can leaders do now to take a stand on those types of things? There was an era for in the 90s where it's just keep your head down, do your job, and don't engage in any of that, and get your lobbyists working behind the scenes in Washington right. to get the bill the way you want it. Now, your people expect you to. We're in the midst of employee revolution. Employees have agency. Like you said earlier, when you and I went to work, we just needed a job. Just give me a job, man. i got to pay off my college debts. Right. You know, I, I, you know. Uh, you know, I, and so I, I got to pay for my apartment or whatever it is. Uh, but today, employees have agency and they're, they want to stand up and they are standing up and being counted. And you need to represent them. Let's take Bob Chapik at Disney. Here's a guy, 62 years old, been CEO for two years, doesn't get it. Did it ever occur to him that some of his employees might be gay and he's forcing him to move to Florida because he took a, a subsidy, and then he gets in trouble with them. He changes his position, then he gets himself in trouble with the governor of Florida. 
He never was clear about what he believed. You know, even if you disagree, we can disagree. You can have one position. I can have a different one. But that's okay. I respect your point of view. You know, like I can believe in a woman's choice. And you can say, Bill, that's against my religion. Great. I respect that. I have tremendous respect. We can do that. But you've got to represent all your employees. When we had, and I live in Minneapolis, George Floyd was murdered three years ago or two years ago here. I can tell you, if any CEO in this town, and there are a lot of big company CEOs in this town, uh, you know, like 3M and United Health and Target and others, if they didn't step up and get behind their employees, their buyback people of color employees, and, and not only defend them, but have a program to, to address the issues. Because like they ripped the bandage off, they found out a lot of cancer underneath. They better address those issues right away. And uh, be, if they didn't, so I think your employees insist on what's happening at Starbucks. Here's the quintessential employee-based company. And they have like 160 stores applying for unionization because they're turned off all the baristas. They're treating them like, you know, workers that uh, have no agency. And they say, yes, we have agency. Okay, we're going to show our power if you want to ignore us. So, you know, Bill, this this kind of takes me to a topic that we didn't talk about earlier, but um, the importance of wellness, because what mm -hmm. you've basically said is this, that if we keep forcing people, especially these emerging generations and leaders to do things the old way, uh, we're going to continue to suppress them. And we're going to continue to force them to come to work doing things that they don't believe in. You know, Bill, you do that, you know, 365 days a year. Don't you think that affects our health? Don't you think that that affects who we are as an individual? I mean, I actually believe that we're going to see one of the biggest chronic disease outbreaks in modern history over the next five years. People are just holding it in, holding it in, taking it every single day. When is corporate America going to wake up? It's our job as leaders to ensure that everyone has a sense of well-being, that they feel good. Corporate, I can't get corporate CEOs to focus on even on employee health plans. You know, it shouldn't just be a health plan. It should be a wellness plan. It should be a well-being plan. And, uh, you know, we every CEO I'm talking to says, oh, we have a lot of mental health problems. Now, they're not really making a distinction here between somebody, say, paranoid schizophrenic that maybe has to be institutionalized and people that are really stressed out and depressed, and they need to do something about it. And this is so important today because you can't keep asking employees to put out. And there's another thing that's upsetting to me, I'm going to put out here we haven't talked about, is in the last 30 years, you've watched all the money flow to the top as the income of working the people on the front lines uh, is going down in real terms after inflation. And I can tell you, it's the front line people that make the difference. You go on an airline. I just flew back from Switzerland today. Who do you know? I don't see the CEO at Bash and a Delta. I get to see the flight attendant. That's or the pilot. That's the, I determine how it goes. You go into a retail store. You go into a restaurant. It could be a great restaurant, but if you get bad service, you're not going to feel good. So it's how you feel of the frontline people, and we have diminished. I think the one thing we learned from COVID, everyone's talking about remote work. I'm not coming to the office. Well, that's great. 60% of the workforce has got to be there, you know, from that retail clerk to the Starbucks barista to my son who's a surgeon. They have to be under front lines uh, to do the job. They can't. You can't do surgery remotely. 
But I think we've diminished the role of the frontline people. And I think we need to, they're the ones we need to focus on, not the consultants, not the middle managers, but the frontline. You know, Bill, I think that that day is coming because what you've made clear today is that there's been a radical balance of power shift from institution to individual. And it's clear that the individual will not tolerate hierarchy. They won't tolerate losing, having the institution rid them of their dignity. Uh, they, they know they have options, but they know that they need to be part of an organization and a culture that recognizes their difference, that recognizes their individual capacity, that recognizes their uniqueness, and recognizes that they can bring a level of experimentation to drive new levels of innovation and growth that have never been considered before for all the reasons that you've shared. So with that, Bill, as we wrap it up, any closing comment? I think we need emerging leaders to lead very differently as everything we've described and to really take care of people and to create this sense of inclusion, a sense of well-being, a passion for the business, and bring people together around that, a clarity of mission and values, and have the courage to do that and get away from this institutional mode and lead differently. And frankly, it's not going to happen with the older generation. It's time for the new generation. So. My message to everyone who considers themselves Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, step up and lead now. Now's the time. Don't wait. And because we need to do this. And the corporations that allow people that have these kind of leaders are going to flourish. Trust me. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. And uh, that's what we need. And so we need this whole massive generation shift. It's time. Love the message, Bill. Love the book. Again, for our audience. Go buy, in fact, you know what? You should buy a whole block of books for your organization. Thank you. <laughs> let alone one for yourself and one for your kids. True North, emerging leaders, leading authentically in today's workplace. Bill, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. And as we end every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.